Moses said God's children Forty years he led them Through the cold and through the night Though they said let's turn back Moses said keep going Canaan land is just in sight There will be no sorrow There in that tomorrow We will be there by and by Milk and honey flowing That is where I'm going Canaan land is just inside Though we walk through valleys Though we climb high mountains We must not give up the fight We must be like Moses We must keep on going Canaan land is just inside There will be no sorrow There in that tomorrow We will be there by and by Milk and honey flowing That is where I'm going Canaan land is just inside There will be no sorrow There in that tomorrow We will be there by and by Milk and honey flowing That is where I'm going Canaan land is just inside Canaan land is just inside Well, I hope Canaan land's inside, amen? At least for you. Amen, I know it is for me. I'm looking forward to it. Not because I'm such a great person, obviously, but because of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen? Take your Bible, turn over to the book of John today, John chapter 3, verse 16. John chapter 3, verse 16, very familiar verse. John chapter 3, verse 16. That particular passage we simply read, For God so loved the world... That he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Probably the most well-known, popular verse in the Bible, probably. I mean, how many times have you uh, turned on a sporting event to see a John 3.16 sign in the stadium? You possibly have seen people walking around the street with a shirt that had John 3.16 on it. There are even athletes who put that black stuff at the bottom of their eyes and type in or write in John 3.16. I mean, that's one of the most well-known, popular verses that there is in our country, at least. You say, what about the Bible? Do you know any verses in the Bible? John 3.16. 
you know, uh, are you familiar with the Word of God? Of course. I know John 3.16. I mean, people that don't even, uh, you know, really study the Bible could quote John 3.16. It's that popular. This morning, I want to just simply take a few moments, and I want to note five things in the passage that I see in John 3.16. Real simple thoughts. Nothing, uh, you know, you know, I can't say not life-shattering because they are, <laughs> but nothing that you probably haven't heard necessarily. But I want to point out five things in the passage that I believe are very important. And I don't know that we've ever been taught quite like this. At least I've never taught it like this. But I just wanted to point out these five things. And I think you'll find them to be a help, a blessing, and an encouragement to you today. So let's go ahead and take just a moment. We'll have a word of prayer. Because let's face it, although we are well aware that doctrinally Canaan land does not represent heaven, it represents the, the uh, uh, sacrificed life of Jesus Christ, the spirit-filled life of Jesus Christ. We understand that doctrinally. But we also know that, inspirationally speaking, we all want to end up in Canaan land. You know what I mean? We all want to end up on the other side, safe in heaven. We all want to be with Jesus Christ for an eternity. And that's important. And John 3.16, probably no better verse in the Bible, capsulizes that thought or those truths. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let's pray and see what we can learn from this simple little verse today. Father, we come to you thanking you again for the privilege that we have to pray, to come into your very presence even this moment, begging you, Father, for your power, begging you for your anointing, begging you, Father, to work and move in each of our lives. Lord, may we not waste our time today by being distracted by other things but may we focus our attention on your word and on you, the living God. Bless us. Teach us. And Lord, may our hearts be stirred. And if there be any that are without Jesus Christ, may they come to him today. Fill me with your spirit. May I be your mouthpiece today. Stand in my shoes. And O oh God of heaven, have your way and will in each of our lives. In Christ's name, amen. So we see this John 3.16. And right off the bat, he begins by saying, For God so loved the world. The first thing we note in the passage is a passionate sovereign. A passionate sovereign. I mean, what I mean by that is when we think of a sovereign, we think of somebody that has sole reign. And there's no other than God himself that has sole reign. He is a passionate God, though. A loving God, the Bible says. Now, men and women have questioned the love of God for centuries, haven't they? As a matter of fact, with every natural disaster, personal tragedy, or ill to humanity, God's love is put on trial every single time, it seems. It seems like no matter what happens, no matter how good God's been in our past, the moment we run into a brick wall, the moment we fall under the bus, the moment we find ourselves in a difficult situation, we look to God and say, God, if you really love me. And so God's love is questioned. And yet the Bible teaches us here in John 3.16, right off the bat, for God so loved the world. We have a passionate sovereign today. Those words have echoed down through the ages. They've offered hope to the most trodden and afflicted. In 1 John 4, 7, the Bible says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Love is of God. But it goes on to say in verse 8, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Not only does God demonstrate love, not only does God uh, disseminate love, but God Himself is love. He is love. If you've experienced any love in your life, you've experienced the touch of God Himself. 
And we see here in the passage that right off the very bat, at the beginning of John 3.16, he sets the stage, he lays the foundation, and says, you have a passionate sovereign. You've got a God that loves you, no matter how you feel about it in your heart. I want you to know the Bible teaches that God loves you today. Well, I'll tell you what, people struggle with that truth. They'll say, oh, I know God loves me. I'll say, do you feel like God loves you? Do you feel the love of God? Honestly, Pastor, no. People have a hard time feeling God's love today. Oh, they say, well, I know the Bible says He loves me. I've been taught my whole life He loves me. I have to believe He loves me. Do you feel loved? No. No, I don't. I want you to know and understand without a doubt, God in heaven loves you. And it doesn't matter how difficult your circumstances, it doesn't matter what you've been going through. I want you to know that no matter what, there's a God in heaven who loves you and is compassionate and cares about you. A passionate sovereign. But not only that, we notice this as well. For God so loved the world, the Bible goes on to say that He gave His only begotten Son. We see in the passage a precious Savior. A precious Savior. Notice He gave His only begotten Son. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 29, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. I mean, the picture is that of a lamb, a helpless lamb, being led to the slaughter. The picture is that of a willing lamb. Just this morning, I've got an education on lambs. One of our young ladies works with them and has raised them in our singles group. She said, I'm going to tell you something. She said, the bottom line is this. There's two things about lambs. She goes, one, if they don't want to do something, you've got to fight on your hands. They'll, 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 they'll just bow up. You know, you think about a lamb just helpless, but he said, this particular young lady said, no, a lamb, if you try to make them do something they don't want to do, you got a battle on your hands. I'm going to tell you something. I am glad today that Jesus Christ came to this old sin-sick world, and he didn't go to this world and say, you're going to force me to that cross. You're going to have to make me go there. No, he said, I willingly lay down my life. I give it a sacrifice. He went, the lamb of God, a precious lamb. A precious Savior. This Lamb of God is precious not only to His Father, but He is precious to all of us who believe, the Bible says. Look, if you will, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Again, we note a passionate sovereign, but we see here a precious Savior. The only begotten of the Father. There in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 6 through 7. The Bible says, Wherefore also it is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. And he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. I want you to realize that to us that believe, to us that know Him to be Savior and Lord, He is precious indeed. A precious Savior. Not only to His Father in heaven, but to you and I today that believe on Him and in Him. A precious Savior. We see, for God so loved the world, a passionate sovereign, that He gave His only begotten Son, a precious Savior. He goes on to say, however, here in the passage, excuse me, he, 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 He says also about this precious Savior, he says, I'm going to provide you with a precious, some precious promises. Now, I love the fact that he's precious. 
But there are some precious promises that he gives us. Turn, if you would, to Second Peter. Notice what he says here. A precious Savior, yes. But given to us, giving to us precious promises. I almost skipped this whole section and it was a good part. Wouldn't that have been tragic? Notice it says, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and what? Precious promises. That by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. We have a precious Savior, yes. And, and may I say today, He provides us with some precious promises. But not only that, He yields us the precious blood. In 1 Peter 1.19, the Bible says, But with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot. I want you to know that we have some precious promises. And we have been given the precious blood of Jesus Christ. But not only that, but we also find that because of that, He brought about a precious faith. Turn to 2 Peter 1.1. It says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So we see that we have a precious Savior who provided some precious promises, his precious blood that led us to a precious faith. And that's exactly what we have today in Christ Jesus. And if I tell you what, we ought to look at our faith today and we ought to look at our belief and say it is precious indeed. And we ought to hold it in high esteem and we ought to truly not discount it or disregard it in any way. It is precious indeed. Not only that, we notice he goes on to say that whosoever believeth in him. Whosoever believeth in him. We see a personal salvation here. So yes, a passionate sovereign, a precious savior but a personal salvation in John 3.16. Whosoever believeth in him. You know, salvation is a person. It's not a plan. Now listen, we teach the plan of salvation. Why? Because it's easier to take someone down the Romans road, so to speak. It's easier to guide them. We need some guardrails along the way to keep us from steering off the path and getting on to some other subject that doesn't really matter at all at that point. It doesn't do any good to talk to somebody about some kind of moral standard when they haven't even trusted Jesus Christ. And so we, we follow a pathway. We follow a plan. We try to take people from A to Z. We try to get them from sinner to saint. We try to find them and land them from, from, uh, uh, from being uh, someone that's condemned to someone that's alive in Christ. Nothing wrong with that. But when it's all said and done, salvation is not a plan. It's not a step program. You don't say... One, two, three, you're saved. That's not how it works. Salvation is a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. Whereas in the Old Testament, they were bound by ritual and rules. In the New Testament, we're blessed with a relationship. Christ is salvation, and without him, there is no salvation at all. John chapter 14, verse 6. Turn there if you would, please. John chapter 14, verse 6. In that particular passage, we read, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He's everything. There is no salvation without Jesus Christ. He is our salvation. Salvation is a person, not a plan. 
In Ephesians 1, 7, the Bible says, In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Again, redemption, being purchased back, bought back out of sin. It's made possible through His blood. His blood. His grace. John 1, 12 says, But as many as received Him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. As many as received him. It is a personal thing. It is a decision you make. It's a decision I make. It's not something that we are born into. It's not something that we, we, we grow up in. It's not something that I've forever been. No, you make a decision at some point in your life to receive and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord, your Savior, your God, your King. You make that decision at some point in your life. Sir, do you know for sure if you died, you'd go to heaven? Oh, I've always believed in God. It's not enough. It's not enough. The devils believe and tremble, the Bible says. The demons also know that there's a God in heaven, but they aren't going to be in heaven. There has to come a point in your life when you personally accept what Jesus Christ did on Calvary 2,000 years ago. As you take that as payment for your sin, you accept Him into your life. You allow Him to forgive, save you, and give you a reservation in heaven. It's a personal thing. You cannot have salvation without the Savior. It's impossible. Impossible. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, the Bible says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are His. See how personal it is? Not only do you know Him, but He knows you. I mean, it's a relationship. It was a while back, but we went to the... Uh, uh, the arena up there in Cleveland to watch the Cavaliers play. It was quite some time ago, matter of fact. And we got some really, really good tickets. You know, down there on that bottom shelf, you know. And, 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 me, and me and Caleb, we sat around row, I think, 11. And, and Josh and Brad got to sit in row four. They sat right behind LeBron's wife. Yeah, that's something. LeBron's wife? Did I say something wrong? You guys are laughing over there. Okay, I just thought maybe I messed the story up. I don't know. So anyway, there they were, sitting there, and we're watching the game. And let me tell you, there's something different about watching a game down on the court like that. Now, listen, I, I'm not a real fan of going to places like that. I, I, I mean, I like it. I would be okay with it. But, man, I tell you what, I could watch it on TV and see it so much better anyway. But when you're down on the floor like that, let me tell you something. It's amazing. I mean, LeBron comes dribbling down the court from, you know, coast to coast, and wham, slams one down. You can feel... I mean, honestly, it's almost like, you know, just, you know, it, it implodes. The place implodes. It's amazing. And so here's Josh. He's down there and LeBron's wife and him, him and Brad are right there. And she's right in front. And LeBron's coming over and they're in the huddle right in front of where they're sitting and stuff. And then, you know, it's, hey, LeBron, what's up? Somebody, how you doing, man? I mean, hey, me and your wife sitting beside each other. What's up, man? Can I tell you, LeBron don't have a clue who he is? He knows LeBron, in a sense. At least he knows about him. But there's no relationship between him and LeBron. I don't care how close to the court he got. I don't care how many slams he saw. It doesn't matter how close he even got to his own wife. Hey, uh, Mrs. Uh, James, uh, could you tell LeBron to see me after the game? No, it doesn't matter. He's like, he don't even know you, man. Get out of my face. Call security. Come on over here. You know, no relationship at all. 
But let me tell you something. The reality is today is that it's not enough to just know about God. You've got to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. I mean, he's, not only do you know him, but he knows you. A personal salvation. A personal salvation. Yes, Jesus Christ died for the sin of the world. But may I say, when you come to him, you're coming to him saying, please, apply that, that sacrifice to me personally. I need you to forgive me. Personal. Personal. So first of all, we noted, for God so loved the world, a passionate sovereign, that he gave his only begotten son, a precious savior, that whosoever believeth in him, a personal salvation, should not perish. A promise in sequel. Man, I'll tell you what, I like the fact that where once we were lost in our sin, now we are saved. I mean, the story has been rewritten. It's another sequel altogether. And it's a promising sequel. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. Would you please turn there? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. Notice 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. For God hath not appointed us to wrath. Chapter 5, verse 9. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, well, I'm not going to perish. And anybody that puts their personal faith in Jesus Christ, anybody that has a relationship with the Lord Jesus, they are going to never perish. They're not appointed to wrath. John 3, uh, 18 says, He that believeth on him is not condemned. The only problem is, he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Aren't you glad today you're no longer condemned? The moment you enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, the moment that you receive that, that eternal salvation, the moment that you were given a home in heaven, a reservation, you are no longer condemned. But may I say, there was a day and a time in your life when you were lost and you were in your sin and you were headed to a place called hell. But may I say, there's a precious and a new and a, 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 a different sequel, a promising sequel now. A whole other story. Isn't that great? Heaven bound. In John chapter 3, verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Turn, if you would, to John 5, 24. John chapter 5, verse 24. A promising sequel. I don't like to watch stories where the ending's bad. I always like it when it ends good. You know, years ago when you'd watch a movie, I mean, let's face it, the bad guy was bad, the good guy was good, and in the end, the good guy won. Now it seems sometimes you watch certain shows and it's the bad guys that come out on top, and unfortunately sometimes it's the bad guy who everybody praises. I understand that we had a story called Robin Hood years ago, and he'd go around stealing things and giving to the poor, and we all went, Go Robin Hood! But it seems that we have this mentality, unfortunately, in Hollywood that bad guys get all the girls and bad guys have all the fun and 
bad guys make all the money and bad guys and bad gals have all the blessings and boy, it just seems it works out for them. It don't work out. The way of the transgressor is hard, the Bible says. It doesn't work out. I don't care what Hollywood tells you. I don't care what anybody tells you. You, Be a nice guy. Nice guys finish last. Be a nice guy. Don't be too nice, though. But anyway, John 5, 24. Notice what it says. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. That's a promising sequence. That's the kind of movies I like right there. You could write a movie about that right there. Someone that's in their sin. Somebody that's steeped in sin. Someone that's headed to hell. But in the end, they're on their knees praying, begging God for salvation. And all of a sudden, the light shines in. And they go, praise God. And there's a reservation in heaven. I like that kind of ending. That's a good one. That's a promising sequel. And in John 3.16, we have a promising sequel. So what do we really escape? We've touched on it basically, but turn to Revelation chapter 20, verse 14 and 15. It's got to, we've got to understand something. This is the real deal. This is reality here. The Word of God is not the figment of a person's imagination. It's not a conglomeration of stories. It is truth. And notice what the Bible says in Revelation 20, verse 14. If we fail to take the escape route, if we fail to receive Christ, if we choose not to accept that personal salvation and enter into a relationship with Christ, then this is what our fate is. Revelation chapter 20, verse 14. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's a sad commentary, isn't it? And someone says, boy, that's, that's pretty negative. But remember, there, there is a, I mean, you can't forget about the promising sequel. This is the reality, though. This is how everything begins. And this is where it will end if we fail to accept the truth of John 3.16. And death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. We had a saying years ago, at least in Bible college, and maybe it's been said in the churches, that goes like this. See, die twice. Wait. Can somebody help me with that? Born once, die twice. Or born twice, die once. Is that it? Okay, I thought it was something like that. That's, I won't even say it again. It's that good. I, I don't even want to tread on holy ground there. Let me tell you something. You're, you're, you're born into this earth, onto this earth, into a physical family. But let me tell you, the Bible tells us in John chapter 3 that we need a spiritual birth. Marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. You've got to be born twice if you only want to die once. Otherwise, you're going to die twice. The Bible says you're going to die physically. But then it tells you you're going to die the second time, being cast alive into the lake of fire, which burneth forever and ever. It's not a comfortable, a comfortable conversation. But it is a true one nonetheless. May God help us to realize that there is a promising sequel. That we can avoid it. We don't have to perish. But we can live forever in a place called paradise. So we noted a couple of things. 
One, we've noted already, for God so loved the world, a passionate sovereign, that he gave his only begotten son, a precious savior, that whosoever believeth in him, a personal salvation, should not perish, a promising sequel. And finally, but have everlasting life, a perfect city, a perfect city. Turn, if you would, to Revelation chapter 21. We're going to spend just a moment in chapter 21 and close. Revelation chapter 21, we're going to read the first four verses to start with. A perfect city. Oh, we have everlasting life, yes, but where are we going to spend it? A perfect city. In Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, the Bible says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. He saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. I mean, John says, listen, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. Oh, there's a new heaven, there's a new earth, and in that day there'll be a new Jerusalem. That city will be a perfect city. It won't be like our cities today. It won't be like Akron, and it won't be like Cleveland, and it won't be like any city you've ever been to in the world. It'll be a perfect city. Look at Revelation 21, 18 and 19. Concerning this city or describing this city, we read, And the building of the wall of it was of jasper. The city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. He goes on to list those stones. He goes on to list those foundations. What a wonderful description. What a wonderful thing to see that that city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. Look at verse 21. The Bible says, And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl. Can you imagine a pearl being so large that it literally is a gate? I mean, that's amazing. That is miraculous. It doesn't say it's made up of pearls. It, is a, it, it, it simply says in the passage that every several gate was of one pearl. Amazing. I have bought my wife some extremely expensive jewelry. You don't believe that. Trust me, I haven't. You say, you should. You ought to go to K Jewelers. You ought to go here and get that friend and love one diamond. How ridiculous was that? I saw it advertised the other day. Two big diamonds now. They don't want you to buy one diamond for it. They want you to buy two on one ring. That's kind of a little bit of overkill. I'd rather give her two at different times and get twice, you know, the love. But notice again, the, a pearl, one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold. Wow. I, I, you know what? I really don't believe there'll be street cleaners in heaven. 
I don't think that you'll see trucks driving down the road. What's up, Jimmy? Just cleaning up these uh, nasty streets. That gold's getting kind of tarnished. No, I don't think so. It's going to be like glass, the Bible says. I don't get it. I don't understand it all. But what I know is what it says. Not only that, look at verse 23. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb is the light thereof. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, the truth is, is that he says that he is the light, right? While he was in the world, he's the light of the world. But the truth is, is that now he's there. And may I say one day, when heaven meets earth there in that new celestial city, may I say that Jesus Christ will lighten everything there is, and you won't have to worry about ever living in the night again. He is the light. And wherever he is, he lightens. And in that city, the Bible says, Jesus, the Lamb, is the light thereof. In verse 25, it goes on to say, And the gates of, of it, that city, shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. Why? Because the Lamb is the light of it. No more locks. No more bars on windows. No more worried about someone breaking in. No need for concealed carry permits. Praise the Lord. Nobody will be hurting each other. None will be harming one another. Everyone will get along and everybody will love one another and everybody will be on the same team. There will be selfishness and no more harm being done. I, I look forward to a day when I don't have to ever worry about locking a door again. Never worrying about being concerned about whether one of my daughters or one of my, my wife or somebody goes out and whether they're going to come back without harm. Never worry about those things again. Never be concerned in the least. There'll be no night there. I don't know about you, but I'm not a fan of darkness. I don't even men love darkness rather than light. I hate darkness, though. My wife's always like, hey, listen, uh, we're going to watch this show. She wants to start flipping all the lights off. Now, flip those lights back on. I like a little light. It just helps me see the TV better. You can know there's not a scared bone in this body, obviously. You can tell that just by looking at me. But I'm not a fan of the darkness. And may I say one day in eternity there'll be no darkness. And he'll be the light of it. Won't have to shut the gates ever again. Won't ever have to lock a door, bar a window. Finally there in Revelation 21, 27. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth. Neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie. But they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. You know, in chapter 21, excuse me, uh, chapter 20, verse 11 through 15, we read that, unfortunately, in chapter uh, 20, verse 15, excuse me, we read that it said, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. In this particular case, it says, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life, there are those that are written in the book of life, and there are those that are not. The only ones permitted in that city are the ones that are written. You don't have to worry about it. They're, they're all going to have Christ-like minds. They're going to have Christ-like bodies. There won't be any more sin. Nothing that defiles. No more lying. No more deception. Satan himself will have been cast into the, bottom, into the lake of fire. It'll be a great city. I guess when we think about that city, I wonder today, is it a city you'll be comfortable in? 
Is it a city I'll be comfortable in? You say, well, of course it will be. Well, I just wonder because we have the opportunity to live like heaven on earth now. But do we take great pleasure in sin all the time? Do we find ourselves embracing sin, holding on to sin, enjoying sin? Is that what brings us pleasure? Is that what makes us uh, happy? I want you to know that in heaven, there shall no wise enter into it anything that defileth neither whatsoever work of abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. If, 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 that's, if those things make you happy and content and you enjoy that sin, I enjoy that sin, then let me ask you, how comfortable will we be in a place without it at all? I believe that God intends that you and I begin to prepare for that city today. Listen, I understand that we're saved out of a sinful life. I realize that there's no one that's perfect, but the Bible does go on to say that we're to be conformed to the image of Christ. The Bible tells us that he began a good work in us and will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ, Philippians 1.6. The fact is he's doing a work in your life and in mine, and that work is a purification. How comfortable will you be in that city? Or do you find yourself holding on to sin? Well, in John 3.16, we see a passionate sovereign, a precious Savior, a personal salvation, a promising sequel, and a perfect city. What a wonderful thought today. A simple thought. Right out of God's Word. Simple truths attached to one of the most prolific and most prevalent and most preeminent verses in our culture today. Do you know Him today? Do you have a personal relationship with Him? Or do you just know about Him? It'd be pretty sad to get to the gates of heaven one day or stand before God at the great white throne judgment and say, Hey, you know me. I know you. He says, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. I never knew you. Wouldn't that be sad? You know how you avoid that? By acknowledging who Jesus Christ is. By admitting that he is indeed who he claimed to be. And that when he died on Calvary, he paid for your sin and the sin of the world, yes, but for you. That his sacrifice was enough. That his blood shed will wash your sin away. And you simply need to call on him and invite him into your life. And trust him to forgive you, save you, and give you a reservation in heaven one day. Have you trusted Him? Have you received Him? And as a believer today, how comfortable will you be in heaven? How comfortable will you be in that perfect city? Let's take steps today to prepare for the perfect city. So that when we arrive, it won't be such culture shock. When we arrive, we'll say, it's exactly what I was hoping for. And every time I was so sick of failing, I tried so hard to overcome sin in my life, I continually died to self, I warred with it. And now here I am, free from sin at all in my presence. No sin at all. In Corinthians, the Bible teaches us that we're saved from the consequences of sin. And... uh the power of sin, and ultimately one day from the very presence of sin. The penalty, excuse me, the penalty of sin. 
And then we're saved from the power of sin. But it won't be till we're in that place that we're truly saved from the presence. But that'll be a great day. A perfect city. So do you know him? Are you saved? Don't discount that. Don't push it away. Don't walk away without settling your salvation today. Get saved today. Know Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And as a child of God, let's start confessing our sin, repenting of it, and preparing for that perfect city. Father, we come to you.